to the Sojourn Church podcast. We are glad you are here, and thanks for listening. As a church, we exist to exalt and enjoy the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things, equip the saints, and extend the gospel to all people by reproducing disciples and churches for the glory of God. More information about the life and mission of Sojourn Church can be found at SojournTulsa.org. That's S-O-J-O-U-R-N Tulsa.org. What a great reminder. Uh, What a powerful name it is. We can look around this area um, and our local surroundings just here and um, just look around and think, man, God, are you really doing anything here? There's so much brokenness, so much poverty, so much hurt, so much lack of good, so much crime. We look across the globe and see all the damage that's going on. Like like I said earlier, just the the Psalms are full of um, stories of men and women with, with greed and lust for power, and lust for status, and lust for more money, and and we forget that there is this powerful, sovereign king that's not clueless, that's not tired and weary, that's not worried about COVID, or worried about the world's finances, or worried about another war, but yet kings have come, and risen up, and fallen, and yet he has stood victorious. What a powerful name it is. It's easy to forget how powerful his name is. It's easy to forget that he is sovereign. It's easy to forget he is loving and moving towards us in the midst of those things. So um, we can have that as an encouragement as we hear the news and see the things going on. Um, we're going to be in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, um, and I would title this um, Grace Driven Generosity. Um, so if you want to turn there in your device, uh, we'll have the um, Different scriptures up there on the screen for you as well. Um, I grew up in a house with Nell and St. Lynch, um, uh, hardworking blue-collar um, workers. Um, the, the, our family value, our family mantra, uh, kind of, was that hard work was next to godliness. So some of you may have grown up in a house like that, where hard work, that was next to godliness, or maybe, maybe even uh, equal with godliness. Hard work was equal with godliness. Um, my, my mom, um, her, her biological dad was the town drunk in the small little town that, that she grew up in. And so he left my grandma and my mom and her brother when my mom was about like 12 or 13. And so every Friday he would get his check from the chair factory and he wouldn't come home on Friday. He would stay out Friday night and Saturday and sometimes even Sunday and he would like spend his whole check and wouldn't have anything for them and then would... Um, show up Monday night again after work, you know. And so, of course, that was pretty rough on my grandma. And so after a number of years, he eventually started cheating on my grandma with the, the town one night. And so they ended up getting married. So my mom, at 14 and a half or 15, she graduated eighth grade and then uh, didn't get to go on to ninth grade and had to leave in ninth grade to go to work at a chair factory And so over in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And so um, she learned kind of very early about, you know, life is hard work. Um, it kind of set her off on a path of hard life and hard work. Um, and I'm assuming, you know, you just think through that 
probably she probably acquired a lot of shame with that. So you may think through your story and feel like, oh man, my family of origin had all kinds of things. Well, that was kind of what she had uh, experienced also. Probably lots of shame that she probably, that, that generation wasn't real big about talking about those things, you know, and talking about the reality of those things. They kind of just covered it up. And um, so she was really big about just, you know, working hard. And my dad also. So when I was about 14 and a half, I started working for one of my coaches, and he owned a landscaping lawn service, because if you're a coach, you probably can't provide very well for your family, so you've got to do these other things also. And so we had about 60 yards that we cared for, and then all landscaping, uh, tearing down fence, uh, building fence, decks, all those things, and then any crap job that no one wanted to do. So like the old farmer sitting at the six o'clock coffee shop that had, you know, like a, a building out in their field for 40 years. that had snakes and all kinds of stuff that no one such. Like he, I would just show up and he'd, he'd turn to me in his truck and say, Sink, you're not going to like me very much. And that, that meant that for two weeks we were going to be in some horrible spot that no one wanted to work, that no one else would take this job, that he would do it for like $500. And so just miserable, dangerous, like all kinds of things. And so there was a, a period where I was working for my coach, um, and um, working for him, and um, I, I think I was old enough to drive, so this is probably like 16 now. And uh, I was working for him, and we would work. At, then he got, a, he got us this job where we were doing our lawns later on in the day because he was helping this guy who was a roofer and a car contractor, and he had several houses going. So we were doing roofing from 6 a.m. to 11. So if you've ever done roofing, it's hot. It's not fun. And I was 16, so I'm the guy carrying all the 100-pound packs up the ladder and stuff. Um, and so, so that was miserable, 6 to 11. Then we'd stop at 11, and we'd start working on our 60 yards. And so then we worked like 11 to 5. And then I also had a job at Charlie's Chicken. And so certain days, if I worked 4 to 9, I'd get off at like 3.30. So, so I, some days I would do 6 to 11 roofing, and then like 11 to like 3.30 working for Coach Rogers, doing our yards and landscaping, and then drive home, take a quick shower, and Charlie's Chicken was like three minutes away. So I'd, then I'd go to work from four to nine. And so in that, that that's pretty rough for a 16-year-old. Um, my mom had the gall to suggest to me at one point, like I was wanting some new mags for my car or something. She's like, well, you know, you got some free time. And, and, and at Walmart, from 11 to 4 in the morning, they, they clean the floors. Back then, Walmart wasn't open, you remember? And so I was like, what kind of mom? This is like abusive. Like for her, I've got these kind of things going on. And she, her, her answer for that is more work. And, and she really was serious. Like, you, you've got some free time. Like, I was just like, my friends don't have jobs. They're like sleeping into 11. And so that's my mom's kind of mantra. And I say all that um, to, to bring up, um, once, that, once I transitioned into full-time ministry, and then I was like teaching two or three lessons at, at, at Grace, Grace over in, in Tahlequah, two or three different lessons for the 20-somethings, and then for the small groups, and then for Sunday morning. Um, I'd be on my laptop. And then I was also going to seminary. So I'd be sitting on my laptop at three or four or five hours, and she would literally just be piddling, just nervously, you know, kind of just lingering around me. Just And you could tell for an hour she was wanting to say something. She was wanting to say something. And then finally she would say, hey, when you get finished playing with your little games on your computer, um, I noticed that I'd pulled out the washer and, and one of the little baseboards, there's, there's something loose back there and there may be a leak or something. It's so like, 
First of all, I'm not playing on video games. I'm not playing. This is actually work. I know it's not what you're thinking of as work, but who gets down and pulls the washer out and gets down on their hands and knees like, you're a crazy lady. And so like that, that was her thinking. Like It drove her crazy that I wasn't up doing something. And so um, that has an effect on you. Um, the point of this story that we're going to see today is not so much about tithing, but it's a story about our views on grace our views on our ability to learn, our views on hard work versus laziness, um, our views on family values and family mantras, the, the, the stories and the, the, the things that you hear going through your mind, looping through your mind from your family of origin, um, a caution on the love of money, um, classes of people, fear-driven busyness, fears about God's provision, a lack of awareness of education or opportunity. And, and all of that viewing can turn into... What's mine is mine because I've worked really hard for it. And, and all of that is a story about how our hearts are influenced powerfully in all those different ways. And that's what Paul's trying to get across to them. He's not just saying, hey, tithe. And so sometimes in churches, again, like, like you've heard me say before, um, like with last week, it's not just a, a turn and now we're going to talk about, um, um, you know, separate from the world and separate from the and, and distance yourself from the world or um, touch no unclean thing. It wasn't this aspect of this list. It was an aspect of living in godliness with full view of God and his greatness. Wouldn't this be the natural um, way of living? And so Paul's sitting out there not tithing. And, and where you've been before, maybe this was the, the turn in chapter 8 where, oh, it's just all about money and it's just about tithing. Well, this has to do with tithing and it has to do with money and not specifically tithing in the New Testament, but it's much more than money. So don't, if you have fears like, oh gosh, we've been to those church um, services. In fact, um, Andy sent me a thing this morning. Uh, Andy Whitley sent me a, a video this morning of Jim Carrey and one of the Wayans brothers, and it's hilarious. And they were, it was one of those Saturday Night Live or whatever, and, it was, and they were mimicking churches and doing satire on churches about giving. And so it's hilarious. You can look it up. I don't think there's any cuss word or anything. If it, if it was, it's Andy's fault. It was hilarious, and it was very clear a depiction of the prosperity gospel uh, and that idea of right now, at the end, they even bring out guns. Like, people aren't giving enough, so in, in the service, they're bringing out guns and stuff. Like, oh, you're going to start giving now, so it's really good, and, and you, that's not going to be this service, okay? I don't have a gun in my pocket or anything. All of these factors, all of that background play into our views on generosity, and don't pretend that those don't affect the heart. So think through your family of origin, the way that you grew up. Uh, when it comes to where your heart's at on the aspect of understanding the gospel, first of all, giving yourself to the Lord, first of all, and then thinking through how that affects the way that you give of not only your finances, but the way that you give of your time in relationships, the way that you give in serving, the way that you, giving, uh, that you give in your, your abilities and talents. Uh, serving inside the church. Yeah, you may have this job and this job, but are you using those gifts to serve inside the body also? So after salvation, this ongoing grace, does Jesus have power to change hearts that have been maybe um, siloed off in certain areas to where um, just you don't realize it, like you got saved and you're trying to live your list of Christianity, but really there's not transformation happening. 
And it's because you're not looking back at the gospel. We saw this with the, uh, the contributing factors of the, the, the church in Corinth. So I want to kind of update because this really plays in now as, as Paul makes this turn into the chapter 8 of, uh, of 2 Corinthians where we, these are just some reminders of the contributing factors. This was the Corinthian makeup. Remember, uh, Corinth was a booming, prosperous town. It was a port city. And so they were obsessed with status. The, they had a huge desire for achievement and success. So it's like a city that we've seen, and they start, you know, they build, start building the Chick Fil A and the Best Buy, and the, it used to be the Chili's, you know. And so um, when those things start happening, area, it, it's kind of booming and prospering area. And so um, there was limitless opportunity in prosperity because it was a port city. Um, Socio-cultural diversity was, was was booming there, and so in the middle of that type of um, successful. Um, upward mobility-driven city, here's those questions that I, I want to pose to us each week. How can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross when I'm obsessed with pride and self-seeking? How, how can I be captivated by the Jesus of the cross? Like if he's defining everything for me, can I do that and still be secretly obsessed with selfishness and, and Sankey's life plan? And now I've got Sankey's life trajectory. And Jesus, your job is now, since I'm with you, for you to come and bless that and make my plan happen. And, and, and then the second question, what implications does that truth have on me loving Christ and making him known to others? Am I really ever going to live on the mission of Christ if, if my life is just categorized off of me pursuing what Sandy wants? And the motifs that we've seen here, Paul's been drawing these out. Weakness is a source of strength. Um, that we actually work really hard and strategize to avoid. And suffering is a vehicle God has chosen to, to display His power and glory. The main ideas today are Paul repeatedly and consistently reverses the honor system or the value system that the Corinthians were continuing to hold on to and esteem. So the bigger press here is not give more money, it's what are you valuing? Has, has Jesus changed your value system? And so like I said, we started talking about this idea at the beginning of the service about grace is not just the day you got saved. You're 14 years into your walk with Christ. You're 20 years into your walk with Christ. And you may be still acting like a one-year-old immature Christian. Um, you, you may be 15 years into your walk with Christ, but it's not 15 years of maturity. You're still a toddler. You're on year two because you don't, you're not growing and you're not learning. And it's because you're not gazing back at the gospel. You're not seeing transformative power. You, you are. You, I got saved back then, and now I'm just trying to keep this list. Your value system hasn't changed. Just like my family's value system, my family's mantra, the cultural influence around me, we all have that. And Paul's going, that's what's happened to you, Corinthians. And he's going to give an example of this Macedonian church and go, they don't have those factors, and they gave out of their weakness. They gave out of their poverty sacrificially. But the bigger issue is not just how much you give, it's is your whole heart with Christ. So um, the gospel is supposed to change our value system. Uh, understanding Jesus means viewing people's lives, the people specifically in the church, because Jesus said in John 13, by the love that you have for one another, that's what people are going to see and give glory to the Father. It's, it's viewing people's lives over a focus on self, becoming God-oriented and others-oriented versus self-focused. They, the Corinthians, wanted the security of being in Christ's kingdom 
while at the same time living for the comforts and ease that this life has to offer. And sadly, in America in 2022, that's a whole mainline 80% of church. That's the whole teaching, is, is we're trying to change church to where you can put your trust in Jesus, but then live this whole life that you want. And you just put a Christian bumper sticker on the back, or you, you, you put a Christian t-shirt on. And so, and in fact, churches want to teach that God's, God's role in your life is that you would be so prosperous and successful, it's your God-ordained ability. So if you'll give more and do more for God, then he's going to give you your trajectory. That's not at all in the gospel. That's not at all what we see in Jesus' life or the disciples' life. Um, it may be that you do have incredible blessing in your life. That doesn't mean that you're disobedient or that you're out of the will of God. We just happen to live in a very comfortable time, but that's not the message of the cross, right? There's a difference in American living. Like, we've got it really, really good um, compared to the story of the cross. That Even when we've got it really, really good, we should be thinking of others, and we should be living with this cross-centered focus. So, um, sadly, all of that is something that Paul's bringing up. This is not just a jumping off time to preach about tithing or giving. It's about money, but it's about much more than money. And Paul wants them to see this, this connection here, that, that giving and the sacrificial giving, it's a revealer of deeper heart issues. So um, he wants them to see the connection between their hearts that understand the gospel, what God has given us in Christ, the depths of that worth, so God giving his son of immeasurable worth. And if you understand God's sacrificial giving, God's gracious outpouring of that, wouldn't, wouldn't something like you just giving some finances be pretty easy on the list of things? If you understand God giving his priceless son, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that you having a heart for others would be normal? Um, so this outpouring of grace from God, God's generosity should lead to sacrificial generosity or sacrificial giving. Um, so let's, let's read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to do uh, 1 through 10. And chapter 8 says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So notice right there. We want you to know about the grace of God. That's what he gets, puts out there first. In his, his writing, his intent, we want you to understand the grace of God. He didn't go into, hey, we're sending a plate around, give money. We want you to understand the grace of God. We want you to know the grace of God has changed some people. Um, it says, um, that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of making part of taking part in this relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he had started, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace." But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty 
might become rich. So, Father, we thank you for your generosity poured out on us. We thank you for um, the sufficient grace of Christ, the sufficient grace of Christ to cover everyone who would put their faith in you, to put to cover the sins of every one of us in this room, Father, to cover the sins of everyone that would cry out to the Lord for forgiveness. We're amazed by this picture of Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in a way that we can't even fathom, he became poor for our sake. And that looking and gazing and staring at that, Father, it is the answer to our hearts being changed and being transformed. Would you give us a picture of grace for our lives this morning? In your name we pray. Amen. So um, Paul, notice what he starts out, like I said, he, he wants them to know about this, this central idea, the grace of God. So that's the backdrop. If you could get a picture of the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. And so now Macedonia is an area, that's the northern part. And so Macedonia was uh, the, the northern part. Achaia was the southern part. And so where um, Corinth sit and all those cities. And so Macedonia has some of the cities up in the north that you're probably aware of that you don't even know. So Philippi, so the book of Philippians. Um, the Bereans that are mentioned a couple different places, um, Berea, and then uh, Thessalonica, and so um, the book of First and Second Thessalonians. And so all those areas, we didn't know it, but they're 61st in Peoria, okay? So they're 61st in Peoria, a block over, right? That's Philippians, that's Thessalonica, that's Berea, and then Corinth is Southern Hills, half a mile over. I've been in Southern Hills one time. I'll never get to go play there. Uh, I, I thought moving to Tulsa, I would get to go play there. I thought I'd meet some businessmen, some some people. And, and even when I get around some people that, that have deep pockets, right? Like I'm, uh, if I see like a little thing that has the Southern Hills emblem, I didn't know this for a long time. But like if they have that, they either got to play there or someone like handed down that shirt. And so um, there's, there's guys I've met that I thought, man, they've got deep pockets. And, and they're like, oh, no, like in 20 years, like I can't get invited to go play there. And I have two friends that are like own businesses and they can't get on there. Like they can't get me on there. And I was like, I'm never getting into Southern Hills. But yet my 15 year old son got to go to a get together at Southern Hills. So we got to drive him up there. And then I was just like looking around, just wanting to see. And uh, we got to drop him off. I was like, I can't believe this kid's going to get to go to this party at Southern Hills, and I've never got to be here. I'll never get to go and watch anything unless I pay, you know, what, 175 to watch other guys play golf here. And so that, that's Corinth, right? That's those people. That's that crowd, half a mile over. These other people, the Macedonians, are these HUD apartments right over here. Okay, and so Paul's going, those people, the grace of God come out on them incredibly. They understood God's grace so powerfully. And notice what he talks about. This affliction that came. Notice what he talks about. A severe test of affliction. And what flowed out of the severe test of affliction, which, by the way, none of us want. We're not asking for that, right? And so out of the severe test of affliction, notice the two things that come together. Um, first, their abundance of joy. So he says there, their abundance of joy and out of their extreme poverty. So, so let's, let's back up and connect the dots. I want you to know about the grace of God that... For these Macedonians, as the grace of God was poured out on them, in a, in a severe test of affliction, which no one wants, they experience joy, and they also experience, um, in their great poverty, this idea of, well, now we want to give. That's crazy. 
Like that, that's not what we usually think through. You know, we don't pray that, we don't ask for that. And when we get in that situation, we usually go, poor me, this is horrible. God, why can't you change this? God, where are you at? Why did you let this happen, right? And for them, that's a way of life. Um, God has purposes in this severe test of affliction. Notice, notice the wording there. Um, the way that he says this, my, my pages keep turning because of the, the wind. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's usually not what comes out. Um, God had purposes. God allowed the severe affliction. Now, now, one of the things that we go through, when we go through times of difficulty, suffering, affliction, um, a lot of people say that statement, well, you know, suffering builds character, or, or conflict and difficulty, it builds character. That, that's not necessarily true. Because I've had a lot of experiences where um, conflict or difficulty did not build my character, it just revealed my character. Has anyone been there? Like you throw a fit about something that you really shouldn't have thrown a fit about, and like it just revealed. So it could be something small, and you throw this huge fit. It didn't build your character yet. Maybe after you, you know, wipe yourself off and, and realize that thirty people watched you throw a fit as an adult, uh, then then you're like, maybe I need to build some character here. But so just conflict and suffering and difficulty, affliction, it doesn't always just build. And so that's where we're at in needing transformation. Hey, God, maybe there's some things going on in my life that you've allowed to hit my life, and you're wanting to grow me, and I'm wanting to throw a fit. It's revealing my character, but I see with the Macedonians, and this is what Paul's trying to get the, the Corinthians to see, hey, the Macedonians in poorness, in poverty, in, in extreme difficulty, what was revealed? A heart of understanding the gospel. Well, if God was this gracious to us, wouldn't we want to be gracious to other people, even though we have very little? And so it would be a picture of the people over here at 61st and Peoria giving to the people at Southern Hills. It would be that flipped picture. Them giving to them. That's just a completely different value system. So just, just remember, um, difficulty, affliction, does not necessarily build character unless you have the gospel that transforms you. It may reveal something. God's wanting to show you something. And then you've got to go, hey, God, what's going on here? My, my heart's feeling this way. I need you to transform me and change the way that I respond to this. It depends on how we respond. It will reveal character. And that, when God shows you that, it's like God being a surgeon and taking a scalpel. And, and, and you don't ask the surgeon. Like none of us like just feel 100% healthy, running marathons, and we go like, hey, you know what? I think I want to go to a surgeon today, right? That's not normal. But it's the God, God coming saying, here's a gift that you didn't even know that you needed. I'm going to open this up and bring out some stuff, and then we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to show you you need change. Because guess what? I see it all the time. You, you have a good list. You, you work really hard at looking good for people. You work really hard at your Christianity. But here's what I see on the inside. So you guys notice I got this, uh, I forget about this, I got this big thing where this is the second time they've had to freeze these little cancer things off my face. And so the bad news is with that is this guy told me, he's like, so you get two freezes. This is the second time. That means the first time it didn't get all of it. And so that's this little thing that keeps popping up. He's like, now, if we have to go the third time, you can't freeze anymore. We got to start cutting up there. 
He's like, and that's an area that, you know, it, it, like it doesn't just disappear. It'll be clear. So I'll probably be one of these guys I'll have, and mine'll be the one that will be the, like, it'll affect my eye, and I'll have, you know, this slow, and for the rest of my life, for the next 20 years, people are always just looking at me in the elevator, like, what's, is this guy a murderer? And so then they cut into my arm here, and then they're like, hey, well, we, we know what this is. It's a certain type of, uh, uh, whatever, carcinoma. And so, but we got to send it off. We got to find out, you know, that, but, but we are going to have to, Go cut out more of that. So, man, no one asked for that. No one's saying like, hey, hey, I just want to do this. So I had this thing just won't go away. And so you're just like, okay, I guess I'll just wait this out now. And now they, they got to do this, this cutting out. And so I don't know what my arms will look like because they're like, we're going to have to take this chunk out and put sutures underneath and sutures on the top. I feel like I can get a guy in Salisaw to do it for like $40, and he could tell me real quickly what it is. But, um, but So I, no one asks, like, hey, let's do something kind of painful and hurtful. And then wait some time and, and wonder about what the result's going to be. And it may be really good news or it may be really bad news. And so that's what God does when we go through things like this. And so we're in uh, times of affliction, times of difficulty, like the Macedonians. Paul's going, hey, listen, God is doing this as a gift, Corinthians. Don't you see? Now, in our pride, we don't want to look at that and think, are you saying that they're better than me or they're responding better? We don't want to look at it that way because we're really good and we've got everything together, right? But Paul's going, hey, in a loving way, hey, here's something that God's wanting to reveal to you guys. You need to change heart. You need to transform heart. And this situation is a great opportunity for you. Um, it's a gift of grace. So um, do you realize that God has a purpose and perspective on affliction or suffering much different than our own? God knows already what's inside us, what, what's going to happen, uh, how we'll respond. He knows the future. So why then? He wants to show us something about ourselves, to reveal something about ourselves. And again, hint, hint, we don't want to see it. We don't want any bad news. You, you really put on a good show, but here's what I see all the time in your heart. And remember, I, I talked a couple weeks ago about like God doesn't see just when you're kind of tempted to look at something bad or to, to do something bad or to do something undercover or to do something that, that you know is wrong, God doesn't just, just see the times that you're tempted and maybe you do a little bit wrong, like you, you barely get close to the line. God sees what your heart would be like if you took away all the graces in your life, like your, your marriage. That's a grace in your life. What would you be like if no chance of losing your marriage? What would you do then? No chance of losing your job. You can do financially whatever you want. Your taxes, tax season, do whatever you want. Government, hey, you see something, something that you want, take away the, the, the consequences of jail. That's a, that's a grace in our life. A government is a grace in our life. So what he sees is hearts that are that warped, that dark, that dangerous. If you took away those, those, those beautiful gifts of grace like laws and parents, and police, and marriage, he sees how you would leave your spouse, leave your kids, steal from your company, do, do whatever. He, he sees that depth of heart and goes, that, that, that's wicked. You need to change that. You, you desperately need my grace every day. You, you have to see yourself all cleaned up and good, Corinthians. But if you knew your heart... It's much more desperate than you realize. You're in need of desperate grace all the time. Um, if God owns the heart, God owns their, their security. 
God owns their, the actions they will take, their, their future, their time, their talents, their money. Um, like I said earlier, it's not just about giving, it's about much more than money. And that flows directly out of them understanding and appreciating and um, being changed by God's sacrificial generosity in the gospel. If you understand, like the Macedonians, they're staring and gazing at what I've poured out to them in the salvation, the eternal salvation they've had, that is what you stare at and gaze at. And if that has changed you, wouldn't you have compassion and want to give? So love, commitment to one another, care is not based on status or income or ethnicity or even place. What is revealed is a heart understanding the very heart of God on matters. And the Corinthians, they needed to see the grace that changed the Macedonians was not based on how rich they were. Many times in my life I've said this, it, God, if we just had this, it would be completely different. God knows that's not true. Because there's people, if, if you've been on mission trips, you can go to certain places, they're poor as dust, right? Like, like they make $2 a week. They spend two hours grinding like cornmeal up so that they can have food for their three or four kids, right? Like that, that, that's not a McDonald's drive-through and complaining because they took over 45 seconds. And so the miserable situations, and sometimes they have the greatest joy. It's like, do you not know how easy life is that you're missing out on? How comfort, and they have so much joy. Some people all over the place. Some refugees, like what we're seeing happen with the Ukrainians right now. There's people have, being displaced. Refugees all the world, and people meet them, and you're just like, what are you so happy about? You got ripped out of your home. Sujan and I went to, uh, went to a place here in town, that was another church that was having a refugee dinner. Um, and, and all these people were just joyous and so thankful. And the guy that Sujan and I were talking with, his family, it was literally one of the cases where, hey, I'm getting, I'm getting to go with my paperwork, and here's some of the kids going with us, and the mom had to stay back because the paperwork doesn't work out. Stories like that all the time. Or the mom and the kids get to get on the bus or get to get on the plane, and, and the husband is left back just in, in no job, no money, no food, and war, war people all around. And, and so when we look at that, man, Look at the grace that's been poured out on us. Don't you see that um, it doesn't matter how rich you are, it doesn't matter how strong you are, it doesn't matter how powerful you are, but instead their attitude of gratitude and joy in what God had done. Um, Jesus brings up this same idea in Luke 21. Um, the widow's offering, remember this? Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. So Jesus is in church, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. How offensive would that be if you're one of the top ten givers? And your amount was like, you know, she, she could never in a lifetime give what you just gave just one time. And Jesus just slaps you in the face and says, what she just gave is more than all of you. That's a different value system, isn't it? That's different thinking. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So God's not wishing that this poor widow had managed her life better. And that's what we tend to think sometimes. God's not wishing that she would have married better. Oh, she probably married wrong and he wasn't a hard worker. You know what? She didn't have Dave Ramsey's or the Crown Ministries uh, principles on, on, on saving and stuff. She should have managed her money better. She should have saved better. She should have thought better. That's not the story. God's, Jesus himself is exalting her going, that's the kind of heart I want. 
And we tend to have all these you know, scenarios that we distinctively uh, classified as, as, well, she probably did this wrong, probably did this. God's going, she understands my heart, a heart that flows in the same rhythms of God's heart. Because of her view of God and her worship of God, she gives almost all that she has. It's easy for most of us to give out of our abundance or to give out of our checking or savings account because why? It's being replenished. Have you ever given when you have literally nothing? Would you give and sacrifice if it meant that your own life or your own provision could possibly be affected? Would you give out of love if it affects maybe your own safety, your own security as a family? Would you continue to trust God and continue to give and sacrifice your security and your future because God just told you just to keep trusting? Would you do that? The Macedonians were poorer than all of us, and they were going, that, that's, that's how we live, right? He's given us a generous salvation. Wouldn't we want to do that? And we have all these rules on why that wouldn't be wise, right? And we have some Proverbs to back that up. And Jesus goes, there's the one. She understands me. She understands my heart. He just doesn't fit. This is the same with these Macedonians. They, they didn't give out an abundance because they didn't have an abundance compared to the Corinthians. They gave out, gave out their poverty. And God wasn't wishing they had more. And God definitely wasn't promising them, now I'm going to change your circumstances. Right? That, that's Tulsa, right? If you do that, then God, a hundredfold, he's going, to, he's going to bless you with a hundredfold. Um, that's not what he's promising. It's an issue of a heart of generosity, understanding God's generosity to us. And, and Paul says, this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. So the whole idea is, if God owns this person, you don't have to worry about talking about money all the time. And I do want to just pause just to say, Sojourn Church and the people that that come regularly, you have been a a phenomenal, phenomenal, unheard of um, truth of this exactly. So when I sit with other church planters, and guys from Seattle or New York or Texas or California, I want to let you guys know, like I hear them talking about, and you know, they're always like, oh man, church planting. I know no one's giving. It's COVID. No one's giving. I was like, man, everyone's giving at our plant. I don't get to say that. I just keep my mouth shut. I'm like, man, our people are incredible. So I, I want to let you know, that's not bragging on you. That, that's, that's, that's bragging on you. It's bringing on what the Lord has done in you to trust. Because we don't have a lot of people. And God has done an incredible work in your heart, not to make you live for those things, but to make you generous. And I want to tell you, that's a beautiful work. That's a beautiful work. So you notice, people criticize me like, hey, you don't talk about money enough. You don't talk about that. I'm going to do it when the Scriptures talk about it. And I'm not going to skip over it. But I want to let you know that that is a beautiful picture of you understanding the generosity of God. That you give naturally, you give openly. That's a beautiful grace on your life. Um, and don't, don't think that you're great at it now and because you might not be tempted later on to like, well, I've, I've been giving really good for 10 years and then all of a sudden, hey, you know what? This new so-and-so vehicle comes out or this new whatever. So continue in that. Continue in that. Um, if God owns a heart, he owns your security, your actions. Some people's work ethic is a fear of not returning to the poor state they grew up in. So if you grew up in kind of meager upbringing, sometimes I've met guys who they're so driven work and they're so driven for success, and you get to know their story after six months, it was the house they grew up in. 
what they saw mom and dad. Terrible fear that's driving everything. And it looks really great, but man, but man there's some issues there. Um, some people, um, constant discontent. We've had a couple of friends or a couple of neighbors different times. We had a neighbor one time. I think they went through seven vehicles in like three years. I, like All of them brand new, all of them beautiful. Well, I've never had one as nice as one of them. They went through like seven, not because they wrecked them, but like after four months, I just, don't, I just want something else. I didn't really like that. I was like, just settle, pump the brakes a little bit, settle down. It just gets you from A to B. And so they, like seven, like constantly discontent or houses, just they went from house to house to house to house to house to house. And so like, just you're like, man, what's going on there? Constantly discontent. There's this fear of, man, I'm running as fast as I can away from my background. Um, people that are um, constant striving for more and more and more. Sometimes there's this competing with, with family so my brothers and sisters, they, they, they all made it to this level and this level and this status and this job and this status. And I'm here, and, and sometimes I mean, I've talked to some guys, sadly a lot of guys in ministry, and it's all this daddy issue, this daddy complex that they never measured up in dad's eyes. So what's driving them as a 40 or a 50 or a 60-year-old man is still because dad didn't tell them good enough and, and clap good enough for them in the stands or didn't show up to their game or they never felt they were going to be good enough. And Christ should have changed that, Right? And so all of those things play into, hey, scrap all that, knock all that off the table, understand the gospel. It doesn't matter what people think of you. It doesn't matter whether you compare with your brother or sister or your dad and your earnings. It doesn't matter. The gospel is what matters. And people around you need the gospel, and they need to be cared for. I thought the kingdom changed that for us. And so all of those things play into how our hearts are. God sees the lockdown in our heart, constantly stingy in patterns with our time, with our relationships, with our talents, our abilities, with our money. It's a constant reveal. So here, here's the big altar call ideas. Where is your heart on matters of your time and your abilities, your giftings that God has given, and also your money? Does your heart need softening? Or is this your hard work? Is this your intelligence? Your ability, your unique ability and strength that has earned your money. He says in 8 and 9, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So Paul, after laying out this idea of this grace of God to them and, and showing them, hey, money is just a revealer of hearts. You guys are not handling it very well, Corinthians. These people who are poverty-stricken, they have joy and they're wanting to give. They understand God's heart. And so for you Corinthians, that needs to change. But, but to prove this, you, you actually started this work, and you, the, a couple of years ago, they had actually started collecting things. And then I think some of the distrust, some people believe that some of the distrust with Paul had caused them to st stop the, the, the uh, collecting of this giving. So all of this that we're going to find out in chapter 8 and 9 is going back to the church in Jerusalem, the poor in the church of Jerusalem. So that's what the Macedonians are given towards, and that's what he's asking the Corinthians to give towards, to take back to the church in Jerusalem. Paul says, this is a great opportunity to prove that your love also is genuine, like, like the Macedonians, and you have much more to give. Paul grounds the idea for them to consider this by pointing them back to what? To Jesus. 
Notice what he grounds it in. Hey, I'm going to challenge you guys to, to, to give to this. But, but the reason you should is not just another list for you to keep. It's because look at Jesus. In him being lavishly rich and as, as God of all gods to come and lower himself in human form. He, he grounds it in um, the incarnation. He goes back to Jesus becoming flesh and lowering himself and being poor, not a place to lay his head, not having you know five days' worth of food with them. Remember when Jesus tells the disciples, hey, we're going to go out and do some ministry now. You've seen me healing. You've seen me preaching the gospel. You guys are going to do it. Oh, oh man, I can't wait to cast out demons. Can't wait. Hey, no knapsacks, no clothes for tomorrow, no food for tomorrow. How many of us would just be like, no, no deal, no deal. Like that's not what I signed up for. And that was his direct message to them. Like you're going to have to trust in the Lord. And hey, day three, when you're really starving, hungry, don't do stuff to get attention. Don't rub dirt on your face and look like real poor and just drag yourself. No, walk in with joy. Let people know there's something greater to live for. Don't let, don't let self-pity you know, be, be what defines you. Let, let it be joy because this, this kingdom is changing you. And so that's what he's saying about the Corinthians. He grounds the idea in the incarnation of Jesus, their model to contemplate. Though he was immeasurably rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Um, it's just a beautiful picture that he brings out. So how would that verse fit if you prescribe to the prosperity gospel? That he became poor. And they might flip it and try to say, well, right there, so, so we could become rich. It's not speaking of just material wealth. It's not thinking, t- teaching about um, physical wealth. It's talking about spiritual wealth. So prosperity gospel, verses like this destroy that whole idea. Because Jesus, as our example, shows that, that, that this is okay. Now, I, I want to be careful uh, because some people want to say, oh, well, I'm not part of the prosperity gospel. Well, what about us with holding God to equations? So maybe we would go, oh, no, the prosperity gospel, that's ridiculous. I can't believe people don't, don't, don't see through that. But if I do these things, here's what I expect, God. If I do these things with my children, will you promise when they turn to their teen years that they'll work out really, really good and be godly? If I, if I do these things, if I give in the church, will you let my business or my, my work prosper, God? Hey, if I do these things, I'm very diligent, and I care for others and disciple others, will you make sure that my kids, when they get to college, they're going to be discipled well? Will you make sure that if we do these things, that you'll do these things? God doesn't play that game. It's not an equation. How's that working for the Ukrainians? How's that working for believers all over the world who are in incredible suffering? How's that work for martyrs? How's that work in, in your life? So you may, may not believe the prosperity gospel, but sometimes we, we actually are holding God to equations that he's not obligated. Do we have a theological category for the reality that Jesus fit more with, with maybe the foot peddlers over here at 61st in Peoria than he would in our circles? Would that disturb us a little bit? Would that mess with us a little bit? Hey, let's get all the chairs picked up. Let's get all the stuff put away. Let's go, hey, hey, Jesus, you want to go with us? We're going down to Casa Tequila. No, I've got some guys I'm meeting over here at the Super Saver. Just going to stand out in the cold? Maybe. That's the powerful thing Paul's pointing to. Jesus became poor, lowering himself to a poor state. 
So it's a new value system. What he's trying to get across is this new value system of grace, of the kingdom. Um, Love, compassion, and serving, not pride, self-preservation, and being served. Do you love being served efficiently, conveniently? Yeah. Do we love um, self-preservation? Yeah. Do we love the feeling of pride? Yeah. And Jesus is going, I come for just a different, a flipped value than that. How weird would it be? How weird would Jesus be if he were in your circle of acquaintances? He doesn't fit with our thinking. He doesn't fit with our value system. He doesn't fit with our ideas, our ideas of security and future and life. We think hard work and earning are two of God's highest values for us. How powerfully efficient we can manage our intelligence, and our giftedness for success. If we're not careful, that's what we're laying out. Is, well, God's given me this ability. God's given me these talents. God's given me these intelligence. I can do these things, earn all this, and see how I can help the kingdom. Doesn't need your money. Doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. Now, there are people, that, and I, I want to be careful, because people walk away like, oh, so you're saying that because, because Jesus became poor, all of us are taking a vow of poverty? No, the, 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 the monks and all those took those vows of poverty. God wants us to be creative. He wants us to create culture in those things. So you may be really gifted. So you may have a guy over here that like lays bricks for $10 an hour, and, and you have a business where you work on a computer for you know, $400 an hour. And so you're not evil, you're not bad. So this is not a message about um, that you're wrong or you're bad for having a solid career or earning well. You're not wrong or bad or sinful if you have a successful career, a nice house, savings, a nice stuff, unless, unless that's what you're living for. And that, that's what happens. It's such a fine line. Like that, that's actually, and we don't like to look at it, and like the guy cutting on my arm and going, hey, here, here's what we found. Well, I, I don't want to hear that. It's God going, hey, if, you, if you'd be honest, you're saying you want to do all that for the church's sake or you, so you can give more to the church? Hey, it feels really good for you to stand around men and for, to list out the three companies that you started. It feels really good for you to have these things that everyone's envious of. And that's just the American culture. It's not wrong uh, for, for us to um, have those things, unless that's what you spend all of your time investing in, all your time dreaming and planning and strategizing. And do not think and plan and invest in the lives of the people around you. God does not call all people to poverty. So when people use the rich young ruler, like sell all you have and come follow me, that he doesn't say that to everyone. He knew what was in that guy's heart. He's going, you'll never do that. You say you want to follow me. I know what's in your heart. He's not calling everyone to that, right? And so um, that's a different thing, but he, he does know what's going on in our heart. You're not guilty if you have good finances or success, but you may be guilty if intern, internally at a heart level, you're living for that 99% more than the eternal kingdom. You're supposed to be living with a new kingdom in mind. He was supposed to be changing you. And sometimes what we do in our American Christianity is, well, I got saved then, and now I'm living for my goals, and God's just going to come and bless it. And he's going, hey, Corinthians, you're supposed to be ongoing transformation occurring. You're supposed to have ongoing transformation. This, this, this idea of generosity from God should have changed you. You're supposed to be living and viewing your time 
your relationships, your finances, money, under a new king. And so all of that flowing of this big picture of the grace of God has been brought to you, just like it was brought to the Macedonians. Is this grace of God changing you? Or are you little stingy pockets with, with, when it comes to your time with relationships? Little stingy pockets when it comes to your finances? Little stingy pockets when it comes to the way that you plan and strategize your life? Or are you just selfish in that? And he's going, if the grace of God is changing you, it would be a normal overflow for you to respond differently. So that's the picture that Paul's painting. We'll get into chapter, the rest of chapter 8 and chapter 9 and see this specific idea of, of what he's talking about on the giving of this church and stuff. Um, I want you to think through um, what that looks like for you. Um, in, the, in the closing part, as Brad comes up, I want you to just take some time to think through what does that look like for me personally when I look at um, my life. Um, if giving and finances and... All those top things are, are clear revealers to what's in your heart. That's what God's looking at. Is, is when he looks at finances, he's, he's not in need of more of your money. He is going, it's a revealer of what's in your heart. I'm trying to let you see graciously what that's doing to you. I'm trying to, see, uh, to let you see it's just a clear revealer. Are there any value systems that the Holy Spirit might be wanting you to see and to begin to see change in. Um, could be with classes of people. Could, it, could, could be with um, those deserving versus those undeserving. Could be successful versus commoners. Is there any value filter that your heart or your eyes have? And are you, are you actually looking at things through the gospel lens and, and wanting transformation that happens that way? Again, we could have made this a, a sermon just on, hey, we're a church plant. We need lots more money. Everyone should dig deeper. And that, that's not the point of this message. It's, it's Paul going, hey, God loves you so much that he's given this much. What's your response in that? And you need to be aware of some things, the way that, that you view things. So let me pray. I'm give you some time to respond as we sing, and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to take your scalpel and to cut into us in areas that we do not want to be cut into. We thank you for um, the grace that you do that with. You don't come angry at us, even though we could have been stockpiling our time, stockpiling our relationships, stockpiling our money. And yet, week after week, month after month, year after year, you've been gracious, slow to anger, steadfast in your love with us. So we read your word with that kind of hope that you can change us, that you can help us to see. Father, would you make us like the Macedonians wherever we're at, giving out of our um, great abundance of wealth or our middle abundance of wealth or our, our lack of abundance, that, that it doesn't matter what status or what level, but that we would have a heart understanding the gospel. Thank you that you give us these reminders that, that finances and money and, and stuff are great revealers about our hearts. We thank you that you give us the chance to repent, to confess that to you. Holy Spirit, would you do a work in us? Because there are people at Southern Hills and at Peoria and 61st that need the gospel of Christ. 
There's people all around our workplaces, our neighborhoods that need the gospel of Christ. Would you create in us a desire to see people's lives changed by the gospel? They're doing this work. In your name we pray. Amen.